Bishop Vaughn McLaughlin said, Here I am, Lord, send me. God sent him. He was sent to his hometown, right here in Jacksonville, Florida. Bishop McLaughlin took his first pastoral role in Green Cove Springs. In 1988, he founded the Potter's House Christian Fellowship on the West Side, and has seen attendance grow to over 5,000 members. See, what we're doing right now is not just for this generation. <laughs> that means you got, to, you got to dream big. And if your desire is to help somebody else and to bless somebody else, then get ready for territorial expansion. In 2002, Bishop McLaughlin led the Potter's House in purchasing and renovating Kingdom Plaza at Normandy Mall, a shopping mall that is now home to many businesses like the Fitness Center, Temple Builders, Kingpin's Bowling Center, and the world-renowned Soul Food Bistro. Please welcome Bishop Vaughn McLaughlin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God bless everybody. God bless you all. Come on, give Jesus a big old hand clap. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. God bless you. You can be seated if you can. And those of you that are watching uh, on the different sites, I know you were jumping up, screaming and hollering. You can sit down too now. No, really, go ahead and sit down now. No, sit down now. God bless y'all. I appreciate you. Pastor Joby gave a brief introduction. Our relationship needs no paper. It needs no accolades. It needs nothing to be read. I remember that day like it was yesterday. And I remember the look, these guys following him, these henchmen, these guys um, uh, <laughs> that were supposedly succoring him or helping him. And uh, we had us a day that day. And um, to see this uh, ministry manifest and to see the things that it's doing around the world is absolutely tremendous. And to know that on that day, you hadn't even had your first service yet, that's a miracle. And that's amazing. Could we put our hands together for this great church, this great leader? I know that Gretchen and JP and Reagan, I know that they're glad to have you in their life. And to hang out with them, you know, I would, you know, I'd be cool to be able to hang out with Jovi Martin and call him my daddy. Um, you old enough for my daddy? No, you ain't old enough for my daddy. My wife texts me when you, when you said Narlene Jackson. She says, will you please tell him my name is McLaughlin now? And uh, we've been married 42 years. And that's such a blessing. But... Uh, she couldn't be here tonight. We're actually selling our home, and she's packing up and doing some stuff. Anybody want to buy it, please call me at 904 445. Please call me. Jesus. All right, so I'm grateful to God. I want to get right to the Word of God. I want to thank God for the band and the singers that came out tonight. Just look good up here together and just working together. Sound good up here together. This just feels right. It just feels good. And somebody said many more and look ahead. I just believe. And I hate COVID-19. I hate the coronavirus. Don't you hate it? I hate it. I hate it with a passion. And uh, again, as Joby said, a whole lot of things going on. And people at this junction, all of this red and blue and black and white, trying to keep us separated and divided. But uh, the devil is a liar. There is no way in the world that the body of Christ is not one body. Out of twain made him one new man. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and follows above us all, through us all, and in us all. There's only one church. Come on. There's only one Lord, and he is the Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I have an expression. I have a shirt that I had made. And if God is your father, I am your brother. Amen. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, common verse for this week. Thank you, guys. Let's one keyboard. Matthew 16, verse 18. And I'm going to read these verses and then share with you a topic that God gave me that I kind of let out of the bag that God spoke it to me last night. And I got to say it. People who know me, they know that I give topics, but I love preaching and love doing what I do. And I always kind of work my way out of a topic, even when people are like, oh, what is he talking about? Is he going, what does that mean? I preached um, a message uh, one time. Um, Say, you know, we need some uh, lying prostitutes off up in here. 
you know, and Rahab lied and said the spies went that way, but she had the scarlet thread, you know, and so she helped save the people of God. So I just said, we need some lying prostitutes off of it. Can we pray? <laughs> Believe in God for some lying prostitutes in the church. So stuff like that, you know, I do stuff like that. And, and um, it's worked over these years, 30 plus years. So Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And then there's a verse in Matthew 16, 18, very powerful verse that says, and I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We've been talking about sending people, and here my Lord send me, and the missions and all this kind of stuff, and people are going. I had lunch today with some staff members from 1122, and I asked them how many of them were going. They like, I ain't going, but anyway... Um, <laughs> I said, everybody can't go. I mean, then Job will have nobody to preach to. So you got to have some people that remain here. So tonight from the topic, we'll be here when y'all get back. Come on, say that with me. We'll be here when y'all get back. Father, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, put your hands together and bless the Lord for this opportunity to share tonight. <laughs> it's a two-part message, you'll see. Preaching the gospel amongst the nations is a divine mandate. We heard it all week long, and it's been very good. Pastor Matt kicked us off. Then the president was here, glory to God, J.D., and then Doug last night. And they all reminded us that the Great Commission is not a suggestion, it's a command. So the, the Bible says that we're called also to disciple whole nations. Matthew 28, 19 says, go teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and then teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. So the Bible says that we are to disciple nations. The word nations there is translated peoples, peoples, people groups. But the word there is ethnos, right? And it literally means the heathen. It literally means pagan inhabitants of the world that there would be people who don't know who God is, and those people who don't know who God is are affectionately called heathens. <laughs> like some of your heathen family members. Are y'all with me? Some of your heathen co-workers. They, they do not know God, so they are affectionately called heathen. So there are people that could never come to know God without the people who know God showing up to tell them about God. And that we need to know. I had somebody bring me the gospel. You had somebody share the gospel with you. People who don't know God, who are heathen and pagan, have to have somebody who knows God to come to them to tell them about the God that they don't know about. I was 26 years old, had never read a Bible, had never been through the doorways of a church. But once in my life, I didn't know there's a God, a Lord. The only Lord I knew was Lord Calvert. And I drink a lot of that. <laughs> that for somebody right in here that's filling the ABC calling you tonight. Now... I just don't want to tempt you, but, you know, if y'all been paying attention, then you probably would know that I probably been looking all week for a good Charles Spurgeon quote <laughs> on the Great Commission. <laughs> so I don't have a Spurgeon quote, but I did find a Kirk quote, James Kirk, that is. It kind of sums up the Great Commission to boldly go where no man has gone before. That's about as close as I can get. And then that's what we're talking about, right? Boldly going where no man has ever gone before. So Jesus commissions us to go, and then he gives us everything that we need to do. And I love what Scripture says about we have everything that pertains to life and godliness, that he totally equips us for the work of the ministry. So number one, he commissions us. He said go. I looked it up in the Greek. It means go. And I even tried to find Latin, you know, the Vulgate, and it said, go. Number two, we have the promise of his presence. He said, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And then thirdly, he's given us the power to do what he's commissioned us to do. 
He said, just the verses prior, he says, all power, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Then he says, now you go. So actually, he's with us, right? So the power is available to us. But not only is he with us, he's in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and quickens your mortal bodies. So Acts 1.8 talks about power. And it says, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And that word is dunamis, which is the inherent ability to be able to reproduce yourself. To be able to reproduce, it's like our, our actual initial um, um, uh, mandate when God said, be fruitful and multiply, replenish, subdue, and have dominion or take dominion. That's what we're supposed to be doing, reproducing after our own kind. So then, if it's the Lord's will for you to go to the ends of the earth, you can go with confidence, boldly, where no man has gone before some manuscripts don't record Mark chapter 16. Those verses have been kind of controversial over the years, but it still has a particular charge from Christ. It's in the book Mark 16, 15. It says this, And he said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go and preach the gospel. Notice this, Go, yes, but do what? Preach the gospel. Now, there's a whole lot of preaching going on, but not everybody is preaching the gospel. The gospel, the good news, y'all. Paul said, I've given to you what I first received, how that Christ Jesus came, lived, died, was buried, rose again the third day according to the scriptures, now seated on the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession, and he's coming back again. Ain't of that good news? The good news is for God so loved the world. That he gave, he made provision. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. That God was so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes on him shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. Guess what, y'all? God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Ain't of that good news. Now, y'all know the story. Man fell. I've fallen and I can't get up. And he failed. And then he tried to cover his sin, was afraid because he was a naked and, and, and wasn't right with God anymore. So made fig leaves and tried to cover himself. That's called religion, y'all, man's attempt to be right with God. And so God said, no, you won't do that. It won't work like that. Sin got so bad, God sent a flood. You know the story. And then God sent him uh, judges and kings and prophets. And, and then finally, stepping out of heaven through 42 generations a child was born and a son was given and his name is called wonderful counselor the mighty god the everlasting father the prince of peace come on wrapped in swaddling clothing lying in a manger grew up and lived a sinless impeccable life incapable of sinning because joseph really wasn't his daddy you heard about the mama drama last night god was his father and because he couldn't sin he also didn't deserve to die so nobody took his life he laid his life down he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God by faith in him y'all ain't helping me here so Christ came and he went to that cross nailed our sins on that tree forgave us for principalities and powers made a show of them openly triumph and then handed us the victory and now we fight yes a good fight of faith but we fight from victory because Christ has come lived died was buried and rose again and if there be no resurrection, then this conference is in vain. Our meeting tonight is in vain. This preaching tonight is in vain. But I heard an old, old story about a Savior came from glory. Come on, y'all ain't helping me here. Oh, he brought me the victory. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. And God has given us this victory. So, also... We never forget that the key to this is resurrection, right? Jesus is alive. We're the only world religion, recognized world religion on earth, where its founder is still alive. Y'all don't get that. Roll call, Buddha, dead. Muhammad, dead. Krishna, dead. Zoriatis, dead. Joseph Smith, been dead. Charles Tash Russell, Judge Rutherford, Kingdom Hall, dead. Jesus, if you say Jesus, 
you might get saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know why? He's not dead. The angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen just like he said. He's alive. Jesus is alive. Glory be to God. Our founder, our savior lives. Ask me how I know he lives. He lives in me. I used to be a no good, good for nothing, low down, scum and earth, back, back, and home I'm sinner on my way to hell. But God, who is rich in mercy with his great love, wherewith he loved us, redeemed me. So I didn't work for it. It's by grace through faith that I'm saved in Christ Jesus, not that of myself. If I had my druthers tonight, I'd be on the beach with a bottle of Hennessy, kicked back with some weed in my hand, and singing some Bob Marley, and just saying to y'all crazy for being off up in there, talking about, go here, my Lord, send me. I went to the beach one night and I had me a good time and then God said nope no more I was sitting at home with a glass of Jack Daniels in one hand and weed in the other and Prince sang the night of a party like in 1999 <laughs> and I said God if you real save me and he did glory be to God that's the kind of God we say Jesus is alive, man. He's risen, just like he said. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up. That means he's God, too. So a lot of people have problems with that, you know, over the years. When people get confused in the Bible, about how can he be God and be the son of God and all that kind of stuff? How, what about this Trinity thing? And my Trinity ain't even in the Bible. Well, Bible ain't even in the Bible. <laughs> What's wrong with you? What's your problem? So, so, so the Bible said that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we'll be saved, right? Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up, right? The Bible said the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and quickens your mortal body. The Father raised him up. The Spirit raised him up. He raised himself up. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost. These three are one. And so this is the divine trinity. I, that's the best way I can explain it. I, it's called a tenement. You know, I, I don't understand. It sounds like it's contradictory saying the same, but I promise you it's real. So he was Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. God was manifested in the flesh and dwelt among us. And so we need to know that. That's good news because we're the only religion in the world that believes that Jesus is God. Can I get 10 people to say amen? So preaching the gospel, I got to move. It's God's M.O., for people to be converted unto him. Romans 10, 14, how can they call on him and whom they not believe? And how can they believe on him and whom they not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach except they be sick? It's the preaching of the gospel. Romans 1, 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first, Jerusalem, and then to the heathen, the pagan, the Greek. And so Jesus sends people to preach the gospel. But he doesn't send everybody and just anybody. We have an expression, some were called, some were sent, some just pricked up their briefcase and went. And there are a lot of people out there like that. You just can't get up and go on your own. So let's thank God for this church, 1122, and this pastor who will vet you, train you, then send you so that you're properly covered and supported. For everybody that's made a commitment this week, to this mission, you ought to thank God, come on, that you've got a proper covering, that you've got support, you're going to be trained, you're going to be vetted, and then you won't be one of those who just picked up their briefcase and went. You were sent. You either need to be called to somebody or sent by somebody to become legit. So I thank God for legitimate sending stations like this one. Now, let me testify. I remember when I was being prompted to go to the nations, I said, no way, Jose. I guess you probably done figured it out, right? It was Latin America. No. <laughs> but but I, I, I actually had said that I would not cross that pond, the Atlantic. I was not going to Europe. I was not going to Africa. Somebody said, but you don't go to Africa? He said, but what about Conta Kente? <laughs> they were like, Conta, you owe it to Alex Haley. You got to go to Africa. And I said, no, I don't want to go to Africa. So, no, I don't want to go to Africa. And then the guy said to me, Joe, but what about your people? He was like, my, tell me, my people. You're like, my people, your people. <laughs> you know, your people, black people, Africa, go. 
you know, and I said, is that biblical? Let me say that biblical. Paul said in Romans 10, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, that they might be saved. I've been on record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, but they've been ignorant of God's righteousness. They're going about to establish their own righteousness, not submitting themselves unto the righteousness of God. So Paul was concerned about his people not properly worshiping God and having a bogus legal relationship with God, and he wanted them to know that the word was in their mouth and in their heart, the word of faith which we preach, that if they would just confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that God. So he had a burden for his people. He was a Jew of Jew, Israelite of Israelite, a Hebrew of Hebrews, certainly the law blameless. This man circumcised the eighth day, tribe of Benjamin. If anybody had anything to boast about in the flesh, he did, and he had a burden for his people. And when I saw that, I said, you know what? There's nothing wrong with having a burden for your people, for your ethnic group. There's nothing wrong with that. Some of the people who are of European descent, they want to go back to Europe. I've got doors open to me right now to go into old Russia right now and preach and do uh, crusades and to do uh, seminary training and teaching over there. I don't want to go. But, but, but I'm going to tell you what happened when I didn't want to go here. I said, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to do it for my people, okay? But then I thought, you know, wait a minute, I got enough Africans in my neighborhood. <laughs> I went to all African school. Well, I got to go. I'm good. But people persisted. And then they said, at least open yourself up and make yourself available so that the idea of missions and going into all the world it lines you up with the scriptures and you won't just resist God. So I said something real stupid. I said, this ain't normal for me, but I said, God, I'll go. But if I go, I want to have an impact on the whole continent. I just don't want to go in there to some little hamlet of small village. I don't want to just go take a glass of water to somebody in the woods and then come back and say, we got one. So I don't want to do that. So he said, okay, look how careful, look how God is. You got to be careful because God's got a sense of humor. The International Global Day of Prayer was held in Cape Town, South Africa, every year. So they decided they're going to move it to the United States, to Jacksonville. And so the pastors here got together and said, let's send Bishop to Africa to get the baton to bring back the torch and say next year it's going to be in Africa. So I went to simply serve to be a fly on the wall. While I was there, Job, I ran into a pastor that recognized me. He looked at me and he said, could you do a workshop for me tomorrow? What are you doing here? I said, I'm just here looking and seeing how things are working so I can come back and tell everybody we can do it. He said, well, do my workshop. I did the workshop. Then the guy who was hosting it, Graham Powell, heard me at the workshop and said, hey, preach Friday night. So I preached Friday night. I'm like, tired. I, only, I ain't bring nothing to wear because I was just working. I don't, you know. Then he said, after Friday night, the Global Day of Prayer, we have 67,000 people going to be in the stadium, and we have 220 nations represented in indigenous garb. And what we do is we have 10,000 translator machines to say on that day, everybody will hear the speaker in their own language preaching the word of God, and we got God TV, TBN, and Africa TV, and we got a potential audience of 1.1 billion people, and this will be the first sermon that has ever gone into all 220 known civilized nations at one time in the history of the gospel. I'm just trying, I'm testifying, y'all. I'm just trying to say I didn't want to go. I went over there reluctantly. I went over to get a baton, and there I was. And there I was on Sunday morning, on Pentecost Sunday in Cape Town, Africa. 67,000 people, almost a billion people watching the whole continent of Africa, every nation, every country, not only in Africa, on every continent. The satellites were pumping this in, God TV, TBN, and I was standing there. And I preached. And I didn't want to go. Lord, have mercy. And to God be the glory. It worked out. They didn't stone me. It worked out. So today we've got this now huge mission program in our church. We in India, orphanages, leper colonies, churches and schools that we support through our missions and monthly mission sewing. I have a missionary that's full time in India, Matthew Corvilla, who goes for us. He calls me his mule into India and he's doing more work than anybody that I know in India. I go twice a year now to Africa, speak to tens of thousands from pulpits in the villages, hospitals, places where there's no water and stuff, sowing and giving and no greater feeling in the world than to preach the gospel and physically serve less fortunate and unreached people groups who would never know who Jesus is if it were not for the obedience of the people that went. 
Nothing more powerful. So I love the world missions, and it's exciting. But that ain't my message to you. I may be wrong. I don't think so. But I think it's safe to say that not everybody is going to go to the ends of the earth, as I heard Doug so eloquently speak last night. So I want to talk to them, everybody, but to them specifically. I love missions, and a big part of missions, though, is the strength of the local church, which is why this church is so successful with this missions program. A strong strategic governing center, a headquarters. In some circles, it's called an apostolic governing center. Just like in Jerusalem, when they went up to, when they ever had an issue on the law or grace or what was going on, James sat on that council with the other apostles and, and they made determinations, a headquarters. So what is the local church? Somebody defined it as the sole embodiment of the presence and activity of the Lord Jesus Christ in the earth. It is a synergetic gathering of transformed people in a particular locale for the purpose of representing the body of Christ on earth through corporate worship and service to its community. And every local church is strategically placed in a community. Every local church should have a burden for the community in which it is placed. It is from the local church that missionaries are sent. It's through the local church that people are equipped to go. Ephesians 4.11 says, and he gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the equipping or the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. So just like the mission field is worked, hear me good, local church ministry is worked. And every one of you should be being equipped, discipled to do the work of ministry. There are those in the local church that's responsible for the continued ministry to their Jerusalem or to their community. Remember, it says to Jerusalem first, the gospel over to the Jew first. There's a purpose for that. All right. I know that I'm called to strengthen the local church. So I would have done you a disservice to have come here tonight and not laid on you my strength. I know where my anointing lies. That's why I'm here. And I've got to deposit what I've got left to say. Your Jerusalem will always be combating the reason why you went there to begin with. If you didn't hear what I just said, the principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness and the spiritual wickedness in high places, they are going to be relentless. You may have put your flag down. You may be building. You may be expanding, but it's not without a fight. The Bible said that God opens up doors for us, gives us great opportunities, but we have adversaries, many adversaries, mushrooming opposition. So you got to get this. You see, it doesn't matter whether you're in the suburbs or whether you're in the hood, whether you're fighting crime in the hood or fighting subjective relativism and narcissism in the burbs. You've got to fight, and you've got to fight on your hands. You've got an ongoing battle, and we've got to keep waging war. The local church has got to remain strong so that those that are physically gone to the ends of the world can be supported, can be prayed for, encouraged by those who sent them. Being a strong local church takes work, takes effort. We've been at it for 32 years, and God has made room for us, as Pastor Joby said, in this city, and especially on the west side of our Jerusalem. We've, we've been intentional doing what it takes to meet the failed needs of our community. Our mantra, Matthew 25, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the jails and the prisons, the nursing homes, the hospitals, take care of the widows and the orphans. We take care of the transits. Like, you have transits and people that are coming by, that are walking by, that sleep in your parking lot, that sleep under the canopy of our church. It's our responsibility to not look down our ecclesiastical noses at them, but to reach down and pick them up, to figure out a means by which we can get them detox, help get them psychiatric training, help get them into a home, put shelter, roof over their head. I wish I had about 10 people in here who understood that that was the mission. Our mission statement is simple. Help as many people as we can before the Lord returns. That's our mission statement. That's what we do. So we develop a four-point plan of empowerment on the west side of Jacksonville. Here we go. We believe that we need to be involved in social empowerment. Social empowerment. I already told you, Matthew 25, feed the hungry, clothe the naked. When Jesus came and said, when you go into a community, speak well of it, bless it, sit down, listen to them, eat what they put before you, heal everybody that's sick among them, and then tell them, 
that the kingdom has come. We do it backwards. We want to go preaching, but we ain't got nothing to help them with. Nobody wants to know how much you know until they know how much you care. I think it was Sir Francis of Sissy that says, go into the community and evangelize it and use words if you have to. You have to show people that you care for them. You have to speak truth also to power and have them to, to when you get right now with this social injustice and this stuff that's going on, let me hit this real quick. You got to do this because social justice is something that God is concerned about. He says the name is hold your vials, keep your ego music until righteousness run down like a river, until you treat each other right, until there's parity amongst each other, until you love one another, until you feed the hungry and care for the poor. The whole thing of Sodom and Gomorrah is not just homosexuality, but they didn't care for the poor. They didn't care about people less fortunate than them, and it led to their debauchery. And we can't let stuff lead to our debauchery. We got to love who God loves. We got to care for who God cares for. And some of y'all looking at me rather sheepishly like you weren't lost. Listen, you once were lost, but now you're found. You were blind, but now you see. You know good and well. You didn't earn this. You weren't worthy of this. You didn't deserve this. You were tired of living, afraid to die, but God looked at you, supplied exactly what you needed on that tree called Calvary, on that cross, and now you believed on it, and look at you now. You may not be all that, but you sure ain't what you used to be. Come on. You know good and well that heaven's going to be your home. You checking up out of here. So what has to happen right now, here's what the world is discovering. We got to stop asking Joby Pharaoh how things are going. And we need to start asking the slaves how things are going. That's real liberation theology. When you ask Pharaoh how it's going, he said, look at our treasure cities. Look, everything is just wonderful. Look at this I have built. Who built Ask the Hebrew slaves, how things going? I don't feel no wave tide. See, if I was in a black church, they'd be like singing it with me. <laughs> I just need a few more black folks. We'd have been gone. <laughs> We'd have been like, yes, it'd have been over in here. <laughs> Making brick without straw. Barefooted, on government subsidy, controlled, manipulated by the governmental systems. It's systemic. We can't get out. Same people, same city, different class of people. I need 10 people to say, ouch. Yes, sir. So we have to be concerned about social uh, issues, educational empowerment. People are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, lack of knowledge. We have an excellent academy. Many of you have heard about. Uh, there's a school over here we used to beat up on all the time called Providence. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Grayson Allen was over there. We beat them too. Beat them like they stole something. Tebow, Tebow, Tebow was at Trinity. We beat them like he stole something too. Ask him. Ask him. I'm going to tell you all this. I'm going to say it publicly. I hope Tim is watching. I got a video of Tim in a fight in the eighth grade playing against our basketball team. I'm going to wait till he get good and world famous. Then I'm going to sell it to TMZ. <laughs> Education. We, we, we looked at the public school system when we were like, why complain about it when you can do something about it? Number three, economic empowerment. Don't give them a fish. Teach them how to fish. And then if you teach them how to fish, teach them how to buy the pond. That's the kind of empowerment we need. We employ hundreds of people. We employ over 200 people full time. And these people, a lot of them are unhirables. They couldn't be hired nowhere else. They're ex-felons, numerous, numerous, all have testimonies. And we're able to bring them into an environment and a culture between our fitness center, our bowling alley, our bistro, our maintenance crews, our church staff. We're able, our schools, our academies, two locations, three levels of school. We're able to empower people and help people to be able to pay their bills and to be the heads of their families and their homes. Economic empowerment and then spiritual empowerment. Last but not least, teach them about God. You know why? Theology is important. Them that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. And so they got to teach them about God. Somebody say God. Come on, you got to say God like a church of God pastor. God. So that's why we do what we do. And that's what we do. So every strong local church also will have some of the mastery of these three things apparent in their church. We teach them. In order for you to be a 1122, a continued strong base and a support system for those that you send, you've got to, number one, have a strong ecclesiology. 
a strong ecclesiology. What is ecclesiology? It's the nature, structure, and purpose of the church. You need to understand that you don't go to church, you don't have church, you are the church. That this is not some glee club. This is not a place where you put a moat around it and let the drawbridge down for people who only look just like you and become some homogenized group of pious peacocks of God's zoo looking down your ecclesiastical nose at other people wondering why they don't have like you what you have and wear what you wear and shop where you shop. Come on, y'all. That ain't the church. The church is a place for every kind of people, black, white, red, brown, rich, poor, ugly, pretty, every kind of people. Jesus died for everybody. Come on. Whosoever will, let them come. Open up these doors. Let them in off the street. You never know. That bag lady, that shopping cart guy, that homeless person, you don't know. If all won't give him praise off up in here, if you're going to sit there and look crazy, you just wait. After a while, God's going to touch them. They're going to come in here, take your seat. You're going to be out there. You better give God some praise on credit. You better thank God for them. You better bless God. I'm preaching myself happy in a minute. I'm out of here. This ain't no lodge. This ain't the Kiwanis. This is a church of Jesus Christ. Number two, new methodologies and strategies. You cannot, you cannot answer today's questions with yesterday's answers. You have got to keep up with the times. You've got to be able to relate with what's going on right now. Right now, with this COVID-19, people who were streaming and doing all this kind of stuff didn't catch us by surprise. But there are now people who are catching up now who are going like, wait a minute, I should have been on there all the while. Wait a minute, I've got to change my platform. No, we have to keep up with the time. We're the pace sector. The world should be imitating us. God gives us creative, witty inventions. God helps us. God, we have the mind of Christ. Come on, talk to me here. And so they ought to be following us we not following them, but we have new methodologies and strategies. We're going to be effective and relative. And then the power, number three, the power of God. See, people say, well, oh, I'm saying ecclesiology, that's kind of theological. And um, let's see, new methodologies and strategies. That's a little stretch for me. I'm kind of old folky. I still carry a Bible. And then you get to the last point of God, the power, and all of these, uh, 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 what do they call them, reformatics, all of a sudden, when you say power of God, all of a sudden, they, they get, you know, it's kind of hard to, to get people to quicken when they used to be Presbyterian, and, and it's kind of hard, it's hard to, you know, people to quicken, what is that? Quick, you know, when you, hey, 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 when you quicken, you ever been to store, I've been in a store, ain't no saved people, old Pentecostal black folk in the store, when they get to see that the bread now is on sale, 30% off, hey, hey. <laughs> also, never forget that they're enemies to becoming all that God intends us to be. As a good Jedi master, I never watched a Star Wars movie until COVID-19. And I tell you, Star Wars and Star Trek, I'm hooked. But as a Jedi master, which I consider myself, and you better be careful because this thing here might just, might just become a light right, right quick. I just feel it in my spirit. But, but as a, a Jedi master, I, I would say that we're battling the dark side. Where the principalities and powers and the rules of darkness, that's the dark side. They're enemies. Enemies. Joby, here's something that we got to be careful of. Every pastor in the world that's trying to do what you're doing and do what we got to do, there's enemies. Number one, religion. I already told you that it's man's attempt to be right with God. It's what we do and thinking that God has to accept it and that we're accepted to God based on our efforts. It's the works of the flesh and those things that we think bring us honor and bring us glory. It's religion. It's the institutionalism of the church. It's religion. It's the organization that snuffs out the power of the living organism. It's religion. Number two, tradition. Jesus said, by keeping your traditions, you make the word of God of none effect. Uh, I used to be Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Holiness, Holy by Faith, Church of God, Church of God, Christ, Church of Christ, written in heaven on Sunday morning in Jesus' name. I was a press down Presbyterian, USA, A-M-E-D-I-O. I had all of these particular titles, and we never did it like that. When you come into churches like this and like ours and you came from somewhere else, you got to check that at the door because this is a Bible-based, Christ-centered, spirit-filled congregation that's trying to do things the way God said do it. So you just check yourself at the door. And then there's another enemy of ignorance. I just don't see it. I don't understand it. Well, that's just ignorant. If you're ignorant, don't tell everybody. Listen, even, 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 even... The one-eyed man is king in the kingdom of the blind. 
Man, see, if you couldn't see it at all, and you got somebody got half an eye, can see a little bit, who you going to vote for king? You want the one-eyed man, the half-eyed man. Where we at now, Pastor? Where, where we at now? I can't see nothing. Where we at now? I hear the waterfall. Where we at now? All you got to do is just get with the program, right? So if you don't understand something, just follow somebody who does. And then lastly, the law of first truth. The law of first truth. That's that thing Grandpa taught you on the Fish Creek about people, about race, about life, about society, about how to be a man, how to be a woman. That's that thing that, why would they lie to you? But they were ignorant. They were traditional. They were religious. And your relationship with God was formed on a disruptive relationship, a destructive relationship with a human being. And it's hard to get that out of you. It's hard to get some systemic stuff out of you, some long-term stuff out of you. I know what I'm talking about. I was roommates with a boy by the name of Jimbo Edwards at the University of Tennessee. He played baseball. I played basketball. He had never met a black man before in his life. And when I walked in the room, he went livid because my name is Vaughn Monroe McLaughlin. He thought I was Scott Irish, you know. <laughs> he didn't have no idea who I was. And he said, you're not my roommate. I said, yes, I am. He said, my roommate's Vaughn McLaughlin. I said, I am he. We wound up in physical altercation. We wound up having to be separated. We put out of rooms. But after we got to know each other, after he learned me, after he didn't judge me by the color of my skin, but by the content of my character, after I showed him some things, after he realized that what his daddy taught him wasn't true, we became like Brian's song. He wrote me one of the most beautiful letters that you ever wanted to see at the time of his graduation, just thanking me for the education that I had brought to him, to be the first black person that ever went into his home in Atwood, Tennessee, the home of the Ku Klux Klan, where his daddy was a wizard in the Klan. And I sat at the table and ate out of his place and saw his mama take the plates and put them in the garbage can when I got through eating. And we became the best of friends. But he didn't mean no harm. The first day he called me out of my name and called me the N-word, he didn't mean no harm. That's all he knew. It's the law of first truth. And so many people carry that over into the faith and bring that over into the body of Christ. And it lingers and it spreads. But we got to rid it. At this time in America right now, Glory to God. All the whitewashing of history is now being unveiled. All the systemic stuff is all. America done got woke. Come on, everybody. America done got woke. When Joby stood there and I looked up here and I saw Big Phil and I saw the girl here and I saw them stand up here and I saw this picture up here and I saw two churches coming together, two families of God coming together. When I saw the worship together, come on, in heaven there are multitudes and multitudes around the throne of God and they sing glory and honor and power and might be unto our God. There's no distinction. Every nation, every kindred, every tongue, they come together and they glorify God and worship God and that's what we're trying to do. And that's what we'll do when this is over. That's what we're going to do until Jesus comes back again. We got to show some folk. By this year, the world knows that you're my disciples, that you love one another. I love y'all. Can't you tell? I love y'all. This ain't no fake thing. Me and Joby, old redneck boy from South Carolina with Georgia Bulldog fan. Come on, I'm from the hood, from the north side, like the Gators, Florida State, and Miami. And Central Florida, now, they whoop all of them. So lastly, there are also requisites to the local body that everybody should be participating in if they're truly born again. So I'm gonna meddle with y'all and I'm gonna get out of your way. This is what a strong local church looks like and sounds like. We call these things requisite. There are eight requisites in the body of Christ. Just quickly, I'm going to run through them real quick. And if you're not participating in these things, you are a very disobedient believer. If you are a believer at all, I'm going to list them. Let's see if we hit you. Mama say you throw a rock in the pack of dogs. The one that holler is the one you hit. <laughs> That's good old Southern. <laughs> Number one, prayer. Prayer. Talking to God and God talking to you. You can't be a born-again believer in a local church and not have a prayer life. No prayer, no power. Little prayer, little power. Some prayer, some power. A lot of prayer, a lot of power. You got to pray just to make it today. Oh, yes, we pray. You got to pray. Number two, praise. 
And I'm not talking about this patty cake. I'm not talking about that quiet stuff. God ain't nervous. You don't need to be nervous either. Praise is what we do, how we act, what we say when we come before the presence of God for what he's done, what he's going to do, and what he's doing in your life right now. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. I thank God for saving me. Somebody shout hallelujah. Oh, the person behind you said, turn it down. You're hollering too loud in my ear. I told y'all, somebody shout glory. Yeah, I'm telling you right now, we got to praise him. We got to dance sometimes. Lift our hands sometimes. We got to run sometimes. Worship. We got to worship. It's what we do, how we say, how we act when we come before the presence of God just for who he is. God, you ain't got to do nothing else. You're just God. You're worth it. You're just worthy. You're just God all by yourself. I've seen grown men this week get on this altar trembling and hands lifted to God because of the awesome dwelling of God in the, in the, in, in the praise and the worship. For God inhabits that praise. He lives in it. And people have been drawn to God. Let me rush. And then there's fellowship. You got to fellowship you got to be together, forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together as the man of some is, but coming together and exhorting one another even more as we see that day approaching. This COVID has caused us to be divided and separated for so long, but I've been missing you so much. Have you seen her? Tell me, have you seen her? Seen her? Ooh. And so and some of us have been saying, late at night, it's hard to rest. I hold a picture to my chest, and I feel fine. <laughs> Y'all don't know that, do you? It's a rainy night in Georgia. You know that? Such a rainy night in Georgia. It feels like it's raining all over the world. When we're apart from each other, there's something missing. That's why I kind of feel kind of good coming back and seeing people, being back in the house of God. How many of y'all slap happy that you can come back to the house of God and bless the Lord? Bible study. Bible study, you got to get in the Word of God. Giving, that's a whole part of what we got to do. That's how we take care of missions, witnessing, different than soul winning, but witnessing, sharing what you know. It's like being on the witness stand. This is what I saw. This is who I am. This is what's going on. Soul winning, like the prosecutor, where you have to work and you have to get a decision for somebody. And then lastly, community transformation. All these things should lead you to community transformation. If you are a spirit-filled church, you are not spirit-filled to be separated when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, get this, and God gave me this revelation personally. If your spirit filled on the day of Pentecost, when they were filled, after that the Holy Ghost shall come upon you, you shall be witnesses, go tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power. They spoke with tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. It wasn't the tongue speaking. It was the languages of the people that had showed up there, right? So what does that mean? They spoke in tongues. Being filled with the Holy Spirit made them relevant to the people that were coming to check out what was going on with them. So being filled with the Holy Spirit makes you relevant. Gives you the language of people that you normally couldn't talk to. Come on, that's the power we need to have. That's why we go, let me keep going. I'm, I'm going to close with this, y'all. So those who sin, who we sin, have got to have a model for ministry to teach and implement around the world. That's what we do. We take our model and we put it on top of churches. And right now in Africa, we have over 30,000 member churches there. If you looked at them and looked at us, you wouldn't be able to tell us apart. Because the things that we have implemented, these four principles that we've implemented, these three keys that we implemented, these requisites that we implemented, we take it. These missionaries that you're sending, they got to have a local model. That's what I meant by the strength. You got to have a local model that we can take there and say, hey, do this like this. Do this like that. Do this like that. And then they apply it where they are, and then it works. I said, we'll be here when y'all come back. Why? Because we will. Because the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. We ain't going nowhere. I don't care coronavirus, racial issues, problems, political infighting. We ain't going nowhere. We ain't got but one president. We ain't got but one king. We ain't got but one Lord. I wish I had somebody. The gates of hell, the Bible says, shall not prevail against the church. We've been standing and we'll be standing and holding it down when you're gone and, and, and we'll be expanding. And, 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 and advance when you return. Matthew 16, 18 says, I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In closing, gates are defensive mechanisms. They're designed, Joby, to keep something out and to keep something in. The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. 
So the devil has stolen some of your joy, some of your peace, some of your children, some of your finances. He just messed with you. And what does he do? He takes it and brings it behind his gate. Yes, he unleashes things from the gate, but it's defensive. You don't fight with gates. You defend yourself with gates. The gates around your house, unless they're electric, they ain't going to hurt nobody. So you've got gates around your house. And the enemy has stolen some of your stuff. If David was here, he'll tell you that you can go and get your stuff back. If you consult God, worship him. David got the zigzag and everything was gone. His children was gone. Stuff burnt down. And he went, they went to kill him. He said, oh, I got to go to God. And he said, Lord, shall I pursue? And the Lord said, pursue. You shall recover it all without fail. And some of y'all, I come tonight to tell you, if you pursue, you can recover it all without fail. I promise you, if you pursue. But where you got to go, Pastor Joby, you know, I'm a good old reformed theologian myself, and I understand that I'm saved. I understand heaven is my home. I understand election. I understand predestination. I understand foreknowledge. I understand sanctification. Now, everybody don't understand sanctification, but I do. So I understand sanctification. I understand everything about my theological relationship with God, my salvation, my soteriology. I got that. I am going to heaven. Why? I believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, and I put my faith in him. I got that. I'm going to heaven. The problem is, if you know you're going to heaven, and you got a thief out here that's messing with your stuff and taking it behind his gates and locking it up called the gates of hell, we go into heaven. The problem is, everybody want to go to heaven, but don't nobody want to go to hell. Even Jesus went down into hell and took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. So tonight, brothers and sisters, women and children, boys and girls of all ages around the world, tonight we need to look at somebody and tell them, go to hell. <laughs> go get your stuff back. Go get your stuff back. Listen to this. I told y'all what happened when I went to Africa. <laughs> so they got back in the back said, go to he's still saying, you go to hell. <laughs> No, I meant to get your stuff back. <laughs> I told y'all about going to Africa and what happened there. This is the, my mission story. As phenomenal as that was, I came back to Jacksonville. This is well documented. You can watch the video. You know, it, the message is called Why I Went to Africa. And I came in that night after traveling across the pond to share with everybody that wonderful event in that stadium. And um, about an hour before I got ready to preach, I got an email. Cape Town is supposedly the home of the AIDS virus. There's a community there where they said that a monkey or whatever. And I went to an AIDS camp. I got to this camp and there were tents everywhere. This is my trip to Africa. I was so blessed with all of the excitement in the theater and the, the stadium. But then I got to see real Africa. 1,700 people laying on cots, unclaimed and dying of AIDS. Full-blown AIDS. I walked into the tent. James Thomas, some of you might know him, Fish Hook Baptist Church. He walked me around, and he said, these people have no one. These people have nobody. Some of them have been unclaimed for five, six, seven years lying on a mat. And for some reason, I was just drawn to this one guy no bigger than my finger his bones eyes sunken in his head and bulging so hot that a tear would, couldn't come out of his eye would fry on his face I walked over and just led of God and I went to lay my hands on him and I had to pull my hand off he was so hot and he looked at me and he blinked his eyes I love you. God loves you. Do you know Jesus? He said, I said, Jesus, and I shared the gospel. 
this gospel. I shared the gospel with him. And I said, can I pray with you? I want you to know Jesus. And I just prayed with him. And I said, you believe this? You accept him? He went, yeah. I was a mess. I turned and I walked away and I left. Shook up all that good stuff that had happened and it came down to that one man on a map. The email said, I still have it. Dear Bishop McLaughlin, when you came to the camp, you prayed for a man, his name I cannot pronounce, Ashili. He had been with us seven years. Nobody had ever come to see him. Nobody ever claimed him. He said, when you left, he died five minutes later. I didn't go to Africa to be famous. I didn't go to Africa to preach at the world's largest gathering and to be on TV all around the world. God sent me for that one man to lead him to the Lord Jesus Christ before he finally closed his eyes. I was so overwhelmed. I had about an hour before I spoke. I completely, without script, just got up and shared why I went to Africa. And for some of you that are going, I'll be sent. There may be somebody just like that waiting on you. Do you know Jesus? Let me pray with you. Before he died, John said, you paved the way for him to meet his maker. Thank you for your obedience. And I want to say in advance, thank you for your obedience to go and to share this gospel with people, heathen, pagan, the nations, the ethnos, and to let them know that there's one Savior and he's in the world today and he's not dead. He's yet alive. I grew up without a father, didn't have one. There's a man in here probably tonight. His father was the closest thing to a father to me that I had in my adult life. A great man by the name of Tom McGee, Mac Paper Company. He took me on his wing at a very critical time in my life when I'm trying to make decisions about how to meet the needs of my community. Partners. The Bible calls them benevolent benefactors. They don't have to give you money, but they can give you wisdom. They can give you courage, like pure. What difference can one man make? Gideon was afraid to fight, even after fleecing God, even after getting down to 300 and lap water like dog. And God said, if you're still afraid, take pure with you. And he went down. He got a great victory. Job, I don't know who it is or what it is in your life that God is doing in your life, but he's doing some great things and he's putting partners and people in your life and he's bringing some folk around you that's going to help perfect you, that's going to dot some of those I's and cross some of those T's. I felt it in here tonight. And 1122, I just want you to know, as your humble servant from the west side of Jacksonville, probably the most unproductive and the most undeveloped side of the town that we live in this city, not one movie theater, not one fancy restaurant, just a soul food bistro. And yet we thrive with the epicenter, our local church of that community. If we shut down, that community shuts down. You're building a new building next door. You'll be able to house more people. It's an equipping station. It's nothing more than a larger sheep shed where you'll be equipped to go do the work of the ministry right here in this community. And so when those that are gone, yes, ask anybody that leaves and goes away representing their family and their home. They might meet the cow in the line. They might meet the tin man and the scarecrow. But all of them will tell you the same thing. There's no place like home. And when they come back, let them find you better than what they were before they left. On fire for God, doing the work of ministry. Come on, growing and expanding. Bills paid. Souls being won. 
Could you stand with me? I'm going to pray prayer of faith. And I just want you to know that before I went, I was reluctant. But when I went, I'll never forget it. The one thing that meant the world to me was that one man on that cot. Heaven rejoiced. And I'm rejoicing with heaven even today, some 12 years later. My heart is in that tent, even today. Father, I thank you now for this opportunity to share with your people, the church of 1122. I thank you for this leader and for the followers. I thank you for the shepherd and the sheep. I thank you for our union. I thank you for our partnership. God, I pray that every need be met. And I pray, God, that everybody that signs up, that they learn tonight that they'll be vetted, they'll be trained, and they'll be sent. But while they're gone, they'll be supported and covered in prayer. For people will still be in prayer and praise and worship and fellowship and in the word of God and giving and witnessing and soul winning and transforming their communities. So that when they return, they can see that we've been about our father's business. So God, tonight, yes, we'll be here when they come back because you planted local churches and communities for your glory. And there might be many members, but we realize there's only one body. We thank you tonight for the one body of Christ. And we bless you. We honor you. We appreciate you. And we need you. To you be all glory and all honor and all praise. If there's been any flesh tonight that tried to glory in your presence, please forgive me, oh God. I would that people see Jesus. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.